Welcome back to the Grizz Podcast. Today is Monday, April 17th, 2023. Thanks for tuning in, all my brothers from other mothers. Hope you guys had a fun, relaxing, positive weekend. Man, I had a tremendous weekend. I was able to travel all the way to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania to be with my son, Noah. He's at the University of Pitt. He does the Navy ROTC program there, and he was receiving some awards, and I wanted to be there to support him. I am so glad that I went. Man, it was so good just to enter into his world and got to see his apartment there and meet a lot of his friends and toured the campus, and he was showing me his favorite places to go. We ate at some of his favorite restaurants. His girlfriend, Jessica, came out with us. Just a really good time, man. And then Saturday morning before I left, I went over to his gym with him. He's uh, really been into Brazilian jiu-jitsu. He's making some just awesome progress with that. Soon to be awarded his blue belt. So I watched him roll for about an hour going against different guys, some his age, some much older. Watched him tap a couple guys out. (laughs) Makes a dad proud, you know what I'm saying? So it was a good weekend. Anyway, on this episode, I got an interview for you. I'm not interviewing anybody. They're actually interviewing me. What happened was a few months ago, I was a guest on the Pirate Monk podcast with Nate Larkin and Aaron Porter. And when I was on there, I shared quite a bit about my backstory coming out of a very broken and abusive home and how I eventually became in 11th grade, a follower of the one true God, the Lord Jesus Christ. That experience definitely changed the trajectory of my life, but it did not completely eradicate all of my old sinful addictions. So we talk about that and about what the sanctification process really looks like, how it is often not very pretty. It's not always linear. It's up and down and it's not easy. I hope that in some way, My story helps guide, encourage, and equip you on your own journey with Christ. So here we go. Welcome back to the Pirate Monk Podcast. Our guest this week is none other than the host of the Grizz Podcast, who I know many of you have heard of. Jason George is joining us today for a conversation. Hey, Jason. Hey, brother. Thanks for having me, Nate. Aaron, thank you. (laughs) 
Now, Jason, is it is it true that you are a first cousin to none other than Boy George? Is that true, or was that just a rumor? Because <laughs> Boy George's got some classic songs. Come on, Karma yeah, Chameleon. Man. Yes, yes. He's a good artist, but uh, no, we're not related in, oh. in any way. Okay, I just want to check. That's cool. I'll, we still I'll, love you. Yeah. All right. I love all uh, 80s music. Yeah. Uh, well, Jason, we do like our listeners to get to know our guests uh, on a personal level. So a great place to start, I think, is to thumbnail for us your story. How did you how did you uh, you know, what was what was childhood like? What was your upgrowing like? Uh, what kind of bumps and bruises did you endure along the way to where you are today? And then after you found Jesus, how was everything just fine? Okay. <laughs> A little sarcasm there. Oh, well, go on. Um, I often tell people like with the story of uh, redemption in the Bible, like if you look at the narrative of the gospel, everything starts all good. Everything was perfect harmony. And then sin mm-hmm. comes into the world and everything crashes. And not, not that everything was perfect in my life, but when I came into the world, it was a good, solid Christian family for the most part, loving, you know, great mom, great dad, um, you know, they had issues, but I felt loved. I felt secure. And then, uh, we went to church every Sunday, Sunday night, Wednesday night, that kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, when I was about five years old, uh, my mom wasn't around anymore and it was freaking me out. And all they had told me is mom is sick. And then, uh, you know, I heard the C word cancer, but I was five years old. I didn't understand and didn't know why she was gone. Nobody was around. The house went from a happy place to a very sad place. And then one day my dad came home and said, mom's gone. Mom's in heaven. So at five years old, I'm confronted with, you know, death, the reality of death. And I don't even understand it what it means. I'm just like, where's my mom? Uh, right after that, my dad made a horrible decision. Uh, within just a few months, he married a woman he should have never married that was not a believer at all. She brought a lot of baggage into the marriage. Her kids uh, came into the marriage and um, it was just a really rough seven years that he stayed into that marriage. Um, from the age of, I guess I was about five or six to about the age of 12, he stayed in that marriage. Through that time, uh, I hated my home life. I wasn't allowed to see my real brothers or my sister anymore. My sister was in high school. She moved out as soon as she could because she couldn't stand my stepmother. Uh, we had the cops called to our house because she had pulled a gun on my dad, fired a shot. Um, I'm the one that ran in, told my sister to call the police. Uh, it was just a crazy home environment. The same night after my dad doesn't press charges, she pulls a knife on him. Deacons of the church are there yeah. trying to work through all of this. It was just crazy. A lot of what, what I saw. Can, can I ask what deacons of the church were there trying to work through this, pulling a knife on someone? What did that mean? Yeah. I don't know. It was just one of those things like back where in that time period, this would have been the 
early 80s. My dad's like, I'm not going to press charges. And the church tries to come in. We're going to help you through this kind of thing. And mm-hmm. they really needed much more than deacons in a church that weren't trained or anything. But um, really abusive home life. I went through some physical abuse from her, uh, one of mm-hmm. her sons who was in high school at the time began to sexually mess with me. Um, and then at a young age, she's probably seven exposed to pornography. They were bringing my older stepbrothers, a lot of porn into the house and man, I was primed for addiction. Mm-hmm. How so, old were you uh, at that point? I was seven when I was first exposed to porn, somewhere in there. Mm -hmm. And then the abuse started around seven. That went on for about a year or so. But I knew, even though I didn't understand addiction, I couldn't stop with porn. Began just to look at it regularly. It was VHS tapes. It was magazines. Mm -hmm. I was stealing it from friends' house where I knew some of their dads had a stash. I would just go in, take it. We had a fort out in the woods. That's where we hid it. But there was also videos in my house. My dad so, never. So it was, it was escalating. You're at the end of, end of elementary school. It's already escalated into just hoard and hide mentality. Yes. Wow. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. Jason. And I knew it was, was wrong. Breaking my heart. Yeah. You knew it was yeah, wrong. You know, You're a little kid. Yeah, you know it's wrong. There's something dirty about it, but I didn't understand everything that goes into it now where I'm learning to cope with anxiety, fears, depression, everything through that, getting a fix. Um, And it was twisting my mind. I can remember by just middle school that uh, there were a lot of crazy desires, thoughts that would invade, even dreams. And some of them felt violent things. And I was like, where's this coming from? Never acted Mm -hmm. on them, but there were things that are just coming to my mind. What if you did that? What if you did this? And, um, I was spiraling down, man, but going to church every Sunday, our family played the game, just kind of the stained glass Mm -hmm. masquerade type thing. Um, my dad never addressed any of this with me with pornography, never had the sex talk. Um, so long story short, I'm getting to a point where I'm feeling suicidal with my home life, have gone in, picked up my father's gun where he had it hidden, um, holding it in my hand. I'm looking at it, I'm thinking things through. And then I'm like, ah, I'm, I'm scared. I'm like, I don't want to do this. I'm like, maybe I'll run away. I just went out of this home. Well, right about in that time period, probably seventh or eighth grade, when a lot of crazy stuff was going on and I'm thinking that way. My dad finally came to me and said, um, hey, I'm thinking about leaving your, um, as my stepmother, but he said, your mom. And I had to call her mom, but I hated doing that. <laughs> and I said, you're not, you're not leaving without me. He goes, what are you talking about? You know, don't you want to be with your mom? Because he was so clueless to how bad it was inside the home. And I bottled it all mm-hmm. up. I never told anyone. And then uh, it was the first time we were at a Roy Rogers restaurant. And I just began to tell him some of what was going on in the home. I didn't tell him everything because I was scared. Is he really going to leave? And if they find out that I shared some of what's going on, what I'm seeing, what has happened to me, they're going to get me. And he's like, okay, you're going to go on this weekend youth retreat that your church was going on. As soon as you get back, we're out of here. 
And so I went on that retreat, got back. He had all my stuff moved out. And I went to go with him to live with my older biological brother, Mark, who I had not seen for like five or six years. I wasn't allowed to see him. And I was like, we're going to, to Mark's? Like, what's going on? And I had heard, you know, Mark is into bad stuff and blah, blah, blah. But he was doing really well. He was getting himself back on his feet. Um, went through a bankruptcy with his company. Went through some uh, rehabilitation, just kind of getting out of substances, things he shouldn't have been into, but he was doing really well. And he was basically like, come on and come live here. Well, the plan was we were going to live there for a little while. And then uh, my uh, my dad was going to get his own apartment and we were going to kind of figure life out together. But my dad went off to live with a new rich girlfriend and he, it was a mansion, guys. Like it was plush. The weight room was as big as some gyms have. It was It was crazy. She was mm-hmm. loaded. Um, he said, why don't you come live over here? I said, I don't want to live with any more of your women. And he's like, wow, what are wait, you going to how, do? how old were you at this point? I was 13. Holy crap. A 13 so, year old saying that some heartbreaking. Yeah. I just, I was like, man, dad, I don't want to do it. I feel more stable here with Mark and his girlfriend. Kelly yeah. comes over a lot and, but they were, uh, they were just really, really loving towards me. Um, and then, um, my dad was like, well, I guess that's okay. You can live with Mark. And so I still thought that meant, okay, I'm going to live with Mark, but you're going to still be involved in my life and you're going to come do things. But that really just wasn't the case. Uh, so Mark, my brother ended up becoming my legal guardian when I was 13, my dad signed things over and I lived with my oldest brother from the age of, uh, Pretty much 12 or 13 all the way to 18 when i moved how, out how old was mark at this point mark was in his 30s i'm the youngest and i'm really young i was a surprise child that nobody thought you know i thought my mom was past that age of having babies and everything and yeah and behold, you, man. you're the special yeah. gift you're the special yeah. gift child that's what we're calling you mm-hmm. all right yeah, so you're with right. you're with your brother is does he have a wife or girlfriend in the house or is it just him and you it's just him and me, and but his girlfriend is over every single day. Um, we eat dinner together, all that kind of stuff. She would go home at the end of the evening, and they eventually got married about a year into me living with Mark. And um, it was just a, a more stable environment than anything I was used to. It, it wasn't easy living with my older brother. We clashed for sure. Um, that was hard, but it was way more stable and secure and opportunities to grow than what I had than the environment I was Mm -hmm. in where I'm literally thinking about like, I don't want to live anymore or I'm just going to run away. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm curious because I've never been in this situation. The fact that your brother said, yes, live with me, became your legal guardian. Did that fill any part of you that was like, he wants me? Versus yeah, what you've been experiencing with your dad in various the ways. The big thing was just feeling like I had a family because I, mm-hmm. I never felt like I had a family. So I started to feel like, man, my brother's back into my life. And then my oldest brother, his name is Mike. Um, I was living with Mark, but Mike came back into my life too. I wasn't allowed to see any of them. My sister came back in my life. I wasn't allowed to see her. And my oldest brother had daughters that were around my age so I've got nieces that are like right at my age. It's kind of funny. I still make them call me uncle. 
But uh, <laughs> I had this family, like we were doing Christmas, yeah. Thanksgiving, and we weren't a perfect family. Believe me, there was, you know, arguments, but yeah. I had a family and I was like, these are my people. These are, these are my blood. This is who I saw before my mom died. This was the family. And then it was taken away. So, uh, so the obvious it, it, question it, is, did the suicidal thoughts go away once you had that connection? And what happened with the false intimacy, self-soothing with pornography once you made that transition? So those two aspects of where your brain was at before you came to Mark's. Yeah. when I came, once I got out of that environment, I can't really remember thinking through anything suicidal or I want to run away. And even when I did have that thought and I'm holding a gun in my hand as a, I don't know, 11 years old, whatever I was, um, there was a fear of it. It was like, Hey, I'm considering this, but I'm like, man, I don't know if I want to do this. I at least had enough sense that I was just like, I don't think this is a good idea, but it never came back. But all through my time living with Mark, I feel like the addiction with pornography was never addressed. There was still just a major pull. And as I'm entering the teen years, hormones are really starting to flow at this point. And, um, I'm just really struggling, man. There's all sorts of thoughts. Even as I'm, I remember we had a magazine that would come to our house called the Washingtonian. And in the back of the magazine, it would advertise like gentlemen's clubs downtown. And even it looked like almost escort stuff. And I remember mm -hmm. just struggling as a going into high school. Like I wanted that so bad. There was a lot of things like that pulling at me. Cause as you guys know, it's like, what started really small and used to do it for you, it just didn't do it for me anymore. So things are mm -hmm. really escalating. And then uh, fast forward, my brother and I, uh, he really wanted me to go to this Christian school in the area. He said, I don't want you to go to the public high school. I was getting in fights in eighth grade at the middle school with, uh, I was a, uh, I was one of the only white kids and it was, it was hard where we were right outside the DC area. And he said, man, I feel like high school is going to be even tougher on you. And um, he said, I'd like to see you get in a good Christian school um, where there's whites, blacks, Hispanic, there's everyone. It was just a good mixture, Jason. Um, and there's teachers and staff that have some Christian values because he's like, I don't, I don't feel like I'm a good Christian. And I was like, yeah, I don't, I don't really feel like you are either. But <laughs> I didn't care about it. I was like... I, I didn't want Christianity. I didn't want God. I didn't want Bible, anything like that. I was like, I don't want to go to a Christian school. I'm like, they suck at sports. I want to play sports. I don't, I don't, I don't want to do that. And he's like, no, no, this one I'm looking at, they're, they're really good at sports. Their baseball is like top in the state. And I said, what among Christian schools? And he's like, no, even public. And I'm like, really? And then he says, man, their football team made it in the top 20, 25, like in the Washington, Washington area, uh, metro area. And so that's pulling on me, but I'm still just not like, I don't want to go to Christian school rules and everything, uniforms. I'm like, I don't want to do that. And um, the pastor of the church that was affiliated with the Christian school is a large church, large Christian school. He had come over and visited with me and actually met with me one-on-one. -on -one. Uh, I'm going into my freshman year and he just sits down with me and he's talking about the sports teams and he's talking about just a good education we're going to be willing to help your brother with the cost of tuition and everything. And I'm still just like, no, no, no. And then he's like, and we got a lot of pretty girls there, Jason. 
Uh-huh. I don't know why Pastor mentioned that, but I think he's just so smart. And he said, this, why don't you just come and check it out? This is a better so. version of flirty fishing, but it's still flirty <laughs> fishing. Yeah. But uh, I went there and checked it out and I saw what he was talking about. They had a lot of great athletic fields. And um, I was like, wow, this is cool. There's kids from all different backgrounds, all different colors and uh, some were raised in a Christian home, some weren't, some were recruited for the athletics. And uh, I still said no. But this one night I had gone home, my brother and his wife went out to eat the papers to sign for, you know, everything for this Christian school. He left it on the counter. He goes, it's up to you, man. I'm your brother. I'm not your dad. You want to go to that thing? You're going to fill it out. You're going to sign it. And uh, he's like, if you don't, then don't go, go to, go to the public school and deal with what you're going to deal with. Like he was just cut and dry it was an argument and he had just looked at me and he said, one thing to think about. And I said, Oh, what's that? And he's like, what would mom want you to do? And that really mm. pierced me. Uh, Cause mom was a strong Christian. The only thing that she left me before she died that my family made sure I got was her Bible. And it's on my shelf right now. I'm still, I can look at it right now where I'm at and just full of highlights, underlining notes, her favorite poems, things like that stuck in it. And, uh, I was like, oh, man, don't bring up mom. Um, oh, my gosh. Can we see it? Can you grab it? You said it's there in this room? Yeah, let me go grab it. I want to see it. This doesn't help our listeners at all, though, Aaron. This is a freaking audio podcast. I don't give a shit. I want to see mom's Bible <laughs> a lot. This is making this very emotional. Yeah. I yeah. want to see it. Uh, all right. So uh, uh, yeah, Nate, Nate did is- comment that this is not good good audio but i don't care because oh, it's a yeah, yeah it's who cares show, show me this, this book of james you can just see underlined notes in the back oh, of the yeah. bible she just kept like different poems oh, passages man. things that yeah that is you know, wow. oh that what a what a precious thing despite that moment of you being having that thrown in your face but what a treasure and and yeah, yeah in that moment where your brother's like what would mom what choice would she want that had to just like just smack you upside the head and heart so hard. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely hit a nerve. Um, I was more angry and here's one of the weirdest things. Like I'm not the type, it's not my background and I'm a, I'm a real matter of fact guy. I don't BS. Um, I don't like BS cause I was raised around so much BS. I mean, I know how to BS, but I try not to be that guy, but, I'm just telling you that with what I'm about to say. This is one of the only times in my life where I feel like God was telling me to do something. I didn't hear an audible voice, but I was, I went downstairs. I was going to listen to music in the basement after my brother and I left. And I didn't, I left those papers alone for that Christian school. And there was something as clear as could be, not a voice, but just like this impression that was like, you need to go to the school. And like, I knew it, it was an intrinsic, go fill out the papers. And it wasn't like, well, oh, I'm, you know, Phil, he put me on a guilt trip with mom. It was, it was clear, but I didn't know that that was something God was doing at the time. I didn't know it. I was not into anything like that, but I just knew it was like, you're supposed to do that. And I but, went and I but, did it. And I but it out. but before ahead. you go on to the next part, what a, I mean, I'm, I'm hearing this progression of events with your brother who's being no nonsense, which I love, which is like, dude, yeah. do it. Don't do it. 
Then he brings up your mom. And you said my, my response was anger toward that because a, you don't want to be jerked around or manipulated maybe, but this is also the person that had all this love that regardless of the fact that it wasn't her fault, she was the first person to abandon you. And, and that's huge. And then you kind of settle into the, this impression of, all right, this is, this is the step I need to take. Like that's, that's an insane few moments in a young man's life that you just described. That's huge. It was. And that's why I bring it up because, you know, for, if there's young people listening, the decision that I made on that night, just in an argument with my brother, papers on a table for a private school and, uh, me just going downstairs, blowing him off. And I'm going to go listen, listen to some Pink Floyd or whatever. I was going to listen to Van Halen on the, we had a really cool vinyl record player. And I love using that back in high school. And that's what I was going to do. And as I'm down there, I may have had even a record on. It was so distinct and just, you need to go fill the paperwork out. You're supposed to go there. And I just went and did it. And my brother came home and he's like, what is this? And I was like, I'm going. And he's like, you got to be kidding. And I started another argument because he's just like, they already started class. You're two days late. We don't have the uniforms. And so I just said, man, the pastor said I could show up, just wear my church clothes until I get uniforms. And he's like, I don't have busing lined up. But he was like, okay. To fast forward, man, just to get right to the point, I I blew off everything. I went to this Christian school, but um, I blew off everything God made, made fun of the chapel services, um, made fun of Bible class. I had no desire for any of it. It was a joke. I saw hypocrisy with my dad. I saw hypocrisy with my brothers. I saw hypocrisy with my stepmom. I saw it with deacons in our church. I just was like, this is whatever. But if someone had said, Jason, are you a Christian? I would say, oh, absolutely. You know, I asked Jesus in my heart. I knew the gospel. I knew Bible verses out the wazoo. Um, I could, I could just give it to you. And I could, I could tell you about the reality of heaven and hell and all of that. And, um, I'd been baptized twice growing up, you know, cause I was like, uh, you know, maybe I'm not saved. I went through that in middle school, was scared. And so I asked Jesus in my heart again, my dad's like, well, you need to get baptized again. So there's a lot of that kind of stuff. Just that easy believism, pray a prayer. I got my ticket out of hell. I was kind of raised around that. And but I was lost as a ball in high weeds because there was nothing in my life that even remotely evidenced any kind of new life, any kind of new desires, conviction of sin, whatever. I mean, sometimes I'd feel guilt and shame, say, God, forgive me for looking at porn. But I I never got rid of it, never had. I was like, no, I'm not separating with this. I'll just go back. Just thought you could just say you're sorry. And so I'm making fun of everything, everything. A lot of the kids in my high school thought I was funny. And sometimes they were kind of like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you said that. I can't believe you did that in chapel. Teachers would reprimand me. Hey, you don't make fun of the things of God. And I was like, okay. Mm-hmm. Well, my junior year of high school, I go into a chapel service, going to sit with my girlfriend, sit with the guys from the football team, the wrestling team, you know, was just going to tune everything out. And a guy came in and he was a guest speaker he caught my attention because he was uh, he was probably in his late twenties. He was built, 
He's wearing a polo shirt. I could see his biceps, his pecs coming through. And I was like, well, this isn't the ordinary chapel speaker at a Baptist high school in the eighties, you know, and, or he doesn't look like a Baptist preacher or pastor. And he was, uh, he was a football coach at a college part-time, but he was also an evangelist, but I didn't understand what any of that meant. But man, he began to share his testimony and he began to teach the gospel, like really what it meant. And he began to have us Christian school students really examine ourselves. Like the Bible says, like, are you in the faith? He made some powerful statements just about like coming to a Christian school. Does it make you any more Christian than sitting in a garage makes you a Volkswagen? I can just remember some statements like that. I can remember him talking about Second Corinthians five seventeen, like the reality of a new creation. Old things pass away, new things come. He kept talking about Jesus is Lord, but is He your Lord? And he kept saying, "Guys, that's what that's what makes the difference right there. Have you surrendered?" And he's like, "Head faith or heart faith? You know, have you followed Him?" And I never heard the gospel presented like this. I had never just heard a clear, almost a hard teaching, almost like you see Jesus doing the gospels, where He's like. Hey, here, here's where I'm going, and this this is what it costs. If you want to follow, come on. If you don't, then don't. It was it was no extra like wooing. It was just this matter of fact. Like this is this is the truth, and I'm the truth. And if if you want this, come on. I want you. That's why I came. But if you don't, you want to go serve other things or do it. Then go do it. And he presented it very much like that. Very strong. Very stern. No emotionalism, but I could tell this dude believed it. He was very passionate about his faith. Not the weird, charismatic, over-emotional, but just like it had changed his life. And I didn't never knew the verse in the Bible where it talks about like no one comes to the Father for salvation unless like the Son is working and drawing him. Like there's got to be this work of, you know, Christ and the Spirit of God drawing a person to salvation. I didn't know what that was theologically, didn't understand it. There was something pulling at my heart so strong for a kid that's like, I don't want any of this. I'm bored. Who's the chapel speaker? Yawn. And I'm like, I need to respond. Well, he hadn't even really finished. He was like, bow your head, close your eyes. He was going to give students an opportunity to respond. I just got out of my seat, told my girlfriend, told the friends on the football team, I'm like, y'all need to get out of the way. I didn't know what anyone else in my class was going to do or the school was going to do. I just remember I got up and I went forward. I met him right down front and I just looked at him. I was like, man, I'm here to do business. Guys, I can't remember what exactly I prayed, but I don't think it matters what I prayed. I can't remember what I said, but I know that whatever I did with God that day, it was life-changing. It was where I just said, God, I'm here. Kind of like I surrendered. I, I responded. And um, when I did that, I didn't know what that would do to me. I didn't, I just felt like, man, I need to get things right. I went home that day and I went into my bedroom in the basement of my brother's house. And I felt like a conviction immediately as I looked around the bedroom. I would have never thought about this. I would have just walked in my bedroom and been like, yeah, this is normal. But I began to see bikini posters on the wall and Victoria's Secret models, cutouts that I had on the wall. I had pornography stashed. I had just a lot of really bad, perverted, kind of even some dark music. 
And for some reason, no one told me to do this. The speaker did not bring this up in chapel. I just went upstairs and got a trash bag and I cleaned house. I started taking everything off. I said, I don't want that in my life anymore. And uh, I went and got my Bible that I only had because I had to have it for Bible class. And I began to just read it. I began to pray. I began to want to go to uh, the youth group at the church. And my brother was like, what is going on? Where are you going? It's Wednesday night. And I said, I'm going to go to that youth group thing. He's like, man, I've been trying to tell you to go to that for years. I think it really helped you with your issues. I was like, shut up about my issues, man. I don't have issues. Uh, Still in a lot of denial, but I wanted to go and I wanted to start worshiping. And I was getting on people in the youth group that were sitting around me goofing off. And I said, man, stop, stop. I want to worship. Like in it was weird for me. I was almost like looking at myself, like what is happening to me? Um, I wasn't trying to act godly. I wasn't trying to act Christian. There was just something internally changing in me. And, and so, that, and that sent you on a trajectory for years of growth and serving others. Like you decided this was going to be what you wanted to invest your life into, right? Yeah, shortly after, like I, I had just got really serious about my own walk with God, but about a year later, I'm in my senior year of high school. Um, that's when I really felt that God was like, you're not just supposed to follow me. I want to call you into ministry and use you in some way. Um, and I was mostly, you know, really pulled towards youth ministry out of heart for young people because um, everything I had been through. And I just thought like, man, God, can you use that? Can you use me with everything I've been through to help them? And I had a really good youth pastor that started discipling me and also addressing a lot of past wounds in my life, um, bringing up anger issues and hurt, abuse. He was the first one that brought up sexual abuse and asked me just outright, had I been sexually abused? And nobody had ever asked me that. I had never told anyone. But um, he just really poured into me uh, for years, years and years. Um, throughout college, after college, as I got into ministry. But um, I saw really a, del- not, I saw a break, repentance, kind of turning around from pornography and the things I was into. But with your listeners, one of the things I want them to hear is uh, I was doing really well years without pornography. Um, and I had never felt as spiritually like the clarity, the freedom, the enjoyment, just to have Christ in my life, being used in ministry, working at a Christian camp, going to a Christian university, serving there. Man, it was just an amazing time. Um, And I didn't have this sin shackling me. But I became a youth pastor and a couple of years into being a youth pastor, um, as I'd be teaching on a Wednesday night, I had some high school students that would just come up to me and confide in me, hey man, pray for me, I'm really struggling. I said, what are you struggling with? Porn. And I was just kind of like, oh, okay, well, how are you getting access to it? Is it late night TV? Is it magazines, whatever? And this is probably 1997-ish. So they're just like, no, Jason, it's internet. And I'm like, internet? Really, because I didn't have a home computer. I didn't have internet. We were just getting email at our church. Like our church didn't have a website. This was right when stuff was really popping. And so I was like, huh. And I'd have another student tell me that. And it's the internet. And I was like, the internet? What is going on with this internet thing? So 
a couple months later, we got our first home computer that we bought. Um, and uh, we had the old AOL dial up, you know, mm-hmm. Odom thing. And I remember just going on Google and there was no um, desire, turn on, I'm tempted. It was just, what are they talking about? And so I put in a couple of search words, just basic stuff boobs. And I just hit enter. What comes up? And I was like, you've got to be kidding. And it's, it wasn't like it is today, but it was still just like, boom, 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 all these websites. And I got off. It scared me because I had been so sober, detoxed for so long, so far removed from it. And I was like, whoa, I'm shutting that down. I didn't know how to like clear your history, delete files, whatever. I was just like, whoa, what was that? But then that was opening Pandora's box and I didn't know it. Somebody that has a past with the abuse that I went through, early exposure, the just chains of addiction. I I thought it was just over. And now I realize like, the fire wasn't burning, but the embers were still there. And it doesn't take much to light it back up. And so I found myself a day or two later, let me go see some more. Let me enter something like lingerie. Mm-hmm. And then things popped up. And that's when you begin to masturbate. And I'm like deeply convicted. I'm ashamed, but I'm in the ministry. I'm married. Our first kid is coming. And I'm like, I can't tell anybody this. Like I, people looked at me, I'm a, I'm a pastor. I just cannot do this. And I began to get uh, just shackled into it. It was becoming more frequent. And then I try to fight it on my own. Like you guys know how that goes where I'm just like, okay, I'm going to do this. I mean, even down to putting a rubber band around my wrist, like as a reminder And I would go a week, I would go two weeks and I'd fall back into it because it was very different from magazines or a video. It was just so much at once. And it was this, I've never had a buffet like it was offering of anything, Mm -hmm. everything. So this, this is where the conversation, uh, a lot of conversations have to do with uh, trauma, abuse, brokenness into self-soothing into finding this solution in Christ. And I am not going to minimize the, the beauty of the power of the gospel. Right. But when it is presented, when it's pitched as this will fix yes. all of those, it becomes very confusing, especially for kids that maybe grew up in the church or mm-hmm. had this moment in high school and they come to this and they live for a while in the, oh, I, f- I feel secure, I feel comfortable. And then they have a crash, whether it is back into pornography, whether it is an affair, whether it is, well, I always just had a little to drink and I'm having a lot to drink. Is this a problem? And it becomes far more shameful because they, they, they already got out of the weeds. You can't go back in the weeds or else right. not only am I bad, but Jesus is ineffective. I don't want to make Jesus ineffective. And so yep. how did you experience that when you're like, wait, I was, 
I I was uh I was fixed. How am I right. unfixed? What do I do? Right. Yeah, it ruined everything. It ruined it ruined even the way that um I was beginning to be a sought after youth speaker. It ruined the way that I was gonna do my my pitch, my presentation, my silver bullet messages of deliverance, um, and mm-hmm. coming into my room and tearing down those bikini posters and it's out of my life now that Christ is there. And now I'm struggling cause I'm like, it's back and I don't know what to do. And I'm, I'm, I'm going to fight this. I got to figure it out. And it was the same thing. So many guys try to do, you just try to like get more spiritual. I'll read my Bible more. I'll pray more. I'll fast. Uh, I'll, I'll do whatever, but, um, I'll do. Oh, wait, wait, wait. I want the rest of that sentence. That was a half sentence. I'll do whatever except what? Really come clean but and open up and do what the New Testament actually shares. But nobody had talked to me about that. And nobody had helped me understand that real genuine believers do fall back into sin. Real genuine believers can and do commit sexual sins, even very grotesque sexual sins, if they didn't, Paul would not have addressed it so many times in his letters. It's repeatedly addressed. There's repeated warnings, always reminding them of what to flee, what to abstain from, keep your guard up. And And that he still struggled with it. Right. Which is an important piece. Yes. But, and then the way that we're supposed to do connection together. Um, I even think of the Galatians passage, passage, uh, Galatians chapter six, I believe it is, where it just talks about um, bearing one another's burdens and helping one another and be careful so that you too are not tempted. Um, The James passage, confess your sins to one another that you might be healed just on and on. Like I, there's so much that you see there that it's like, obviously there are Christians that are like, I am falling repeatedly you're still a Christian. You're still in the body of Christ. It's legit, but you need help. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to admit that because I was a spiritual leader. Yeah. Um, well, let's pause there. Nate, sure. what, what are you thinking? I mean, this is, this is your wheelhouse. I'm willing to do anything except is the question that is never asked of us because we are willing. Jason was willing. You're willing. I'm willing in those moments but we're never asked the accept what question. And oh my gosh, yeah. is that your story? Yeah, yeah sure. Except somebody, except tell somebody else. And part of that is personal pride. And part of it also, I think, I think uh, I, I'm resonating with Jason here that, um, you know, I kind of took this vow never to bring shame upon the name of Jesus. And this is just going to invalidate my faith. It's going to harm other people. Other people will stumble. It's, I've got to hide this. I've got to cover this up. That's how I felt for a long time until I ran out of options and I was I was eventually cornered and had to tell somebody. And when that happened, I didn't go to church. I went to the basement of the church in the middle of the week when all the good people were gone mm. and I found some addicts I could talk to. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I love that part about your story, man. You had some real church in the basement. Um, so how did you, how did you that, find your way out of that? Oh, what were you going to say? Go ahead. Yeah. I mean, what I'll answer your question. Uh, I was deeply convicted and troubled, uh, divided, uh, 
anxiety was developing. Um, felt like I couldn't teach properly everything. I didn't have that flow. I didn't have that energy, that, mm-hmm. that light. Things were just, it, it was, everything was messed up. I was talking to a guy I work with, with one-on-one coaching today. And uh, I said, you know, in the Narnia series, because he knows that series, I said, about when they talk about the dark magic, I said, I feel like pornography is always just dark magic. Like as soon as I tapped into it, what it would do to corrupt me and corrupt my ministry, corrupt my thinking. I became hostile towards God. I began to just almost despise the gospel. It was, it was so dark what it was doing to me. So mm-hmm. I go to my senior pastor at my first church I'm working at. I said, uh, come in. I say, hey, I got to talk to you. He says, sure, sit down. I close the door. He goes, what's up? And uh, this is really important for guys to hear this too. Um, this really, I look back, man, it pisses me off. Uh, I told him, I just said, hey, man, I really I slipped. Um, been looking at things on the internet. I don't want to be doing that. I'm struggling with pornography. I need to tell you, I don't, I don't want to do anything to mess up this ministry. I don't want to do anything to mess up these students. They look to me. I got to figure out what to do. I need to come clean and just get this out. And he looked at me and he said, man, I'm sure it's not as big a deal as you're making it. Mm. And I said, okay. And I was young, man. I was, I was a young youth pastor and he was, you know, older. He's the senior pastor. So I'm just like, oh, okay. Like you're, you're probably right. And he was like, well, I appreciate you telling me. He goes, but man, I just, you know, I'm sure you're going to be fine almost. Mm-hmm. That wasn't at all what I needed. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what? So I just was like, okay, I'm good. And, but it also said, I can't, he's not going to help me. I, he's not mm-hmm. the guy. And so the struggle just continued. I'd do good for a while and then I would fall. And then uh, I began to, I don't know if this was, it was a culmination, guys. I deal with Lyme disease. I'm still battling it here in 2023. I've made a lot of progress. I'm doing much better. A couple of years ago, I couldn't even done an interview because I, wouldn't have had the mental capacity. It would have been too difficult. But something in my late 20s, as this addiction is continuing, I started having bizarre panic attacks and and just generalized anxiety. And it was coming Mm -hmm. out of nowhere. I mean, I'm jumping out of my skin. I can't sleep at night, whatever. I'm like, is there something going on? Is this demonic? I mean, I don't know what it is, but I believe... I was the early stages of, I had got infected with Lyme disease. It causes a lot of that in the neurosystem, but I didn't know that. But there was also, I'm looking at porn. Is this God getting me? What's going on? I mean, so God kind of used it in some ways because it freaked me out. And I came home this one night after walking around in the rain in a full-blown panic attack, but didn't know what a panic attack was. No one ever explained that. No one ever talked about anxiety issues. I come in, my wife's like, where have you been? I'm soaking wet. It's like nine at night. And she's like, what are you doing in the rain? I'm like, <sighs> I'm like, you need to sit down on the couch. I got to talk to you. Cause I'm thinking God's trying to get me because of the porn in my life. And I'm coming clean even to her. Cause I had never told her cause I didn't want to hurt her. And I think it was also just pride, you know, but I sat her down and I just said, I'm looking at porn and I've got to stop. And I'm so sorry. And man, she was hurt and she was mad. 
And she was kind of like, well, good. I'm glad you're having a freak out moment. You should, you know, with what, you know, and she was right. But I was just like, okay, now I'll be okay. I told my wife, I, I told that pastor, I told my wife, I'm, I did it. I did the hardest thing. But the, uh, the anxiety, the panic and stuff was still happening. Had to work through that, go to counselors. Um, but the porn was still coming up because it, it was just a way that I would medicate. And then finally, as I know you guys hear it back in that time, every man's battle had come out. I read mm-hmm. it. That helped some. I went to the every man's battle weekend seminar. Um, that helped not because it was the guys from every man's battle, but they brought in Joe Dallas um, and Joe mm-hmm. Dallas from Genesis counseling and also the book, the game plan. He came out and spoke and he went through not every man's battle stuff, but he went through kind of his approach for healing, but also the steps of overcoming. And it was so solid. It was so biblical, but he shared his devastating testimony and the gross sin that he was in way further, deeper than I had ever been. And yet not only was he restored, he had overcome, but now he was helping other guys. So I went up in his hotel room um, because he said, if there's pastors here, you can come meet with me because I know you guys are going to want to know how to help your congregation. Joe told me later, he said, uh, I know that those pastors are there, not because they're trying to learn how to help their congregation, but because they got a problem. And he Mm -hmm. said, I have them up to my room and I'll say that because they won't come any other way. He goes, look, if they really want to help with the congregation, I'll tell them. He goes, but I know that they need to talk. So I went up there in his hotel room and we just had a real heart to heart and he was the first one to just really lay it out. Man, this isn't a quick fix. This is a process of recovery. Mm-hmm. There are steps to be taken. This is not easy, um, but this is the path and you guys can be delivered. And, you know, I think I just was like, okay, you know, I'm good. And uh, began to get his book, began to implement some things, some accountability, some other stuff, but They were just still, man, like stretches, then relapses, stretches, then relapses. And uh, just finally had to get to a point where the big thing, the big, the big change, man, to bring this uh, plane down and land it is I had to get myself in a group and I couldn't Mm -hmm. find one locally at a church. I looked, I went to celebrate recoveries, other stuff. I just could not get connected to something. And I wanted to, I I knew this isn't good for me. I know it's not good for my marriage and I didn't want to mess up my ministry. I don't, I don't want to be a hypocrite. And that was evidence. I want the people listening to hear this. That is evidence of new life in someone. If Mm -hmm. I didn't give a rip and I'm just like, man, who cares? Or I'll do it because I got caught. I scratch my head sometimes and I'm just like, are you, are you really a believer? And then I also will tell some guys, like, you say you want to work with me. You don't want to work with me. You don't really want help. I I can tell. But the guy that's just like, man, I want out. I'm struggling. I'm pulled both ways. I'm like, well, then let's work together. And I couldn't find that, but I found it online, an online support group. I was scared to go to it. I never showed up on the video. I only would show up on the phone calls because I was scared someone's going to find him a pastor expose me, tell, tell the congregation. I wouldn't even put my name in on the sign in. I'll put my initials. I'm J J G. It was just mm-hmm. stuff like that. And what, what led to 
where recovery starts working is when I just go, I came in on video and I go, here I am. It's me. Mm -hmm. I've got an issue. I fell again this week. I'm Jason George. And yeah, I am serving in ministry. Here's my ministry. And all the guys were, they were other pastors and they were like, it's between us. You're safe. And I was like, okay. You know, but I was nervous about that. And now I'm not nervous at all. I love it. I do it every week. I lead a group, but I go to a group for me because that's part of my recovery. I'm going to maintain until I go home to heaven. So every Wednesday morning, I'm on with a bunch of pastors and I'm not the leader of the group. But that was where breakthrough started really happening. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. then to understand better uh, biblical steps, like you've got to stay connected. Um, The opposite of addiction is not sobriety. It's connection. We've all, most of us have heard that. It's so true. I've got to stay connected. And I had to separate from my sin. I had to do a total inventory. What has to go? What has to get out? What do I got to get away from? And then I had to do prevention. How do I prevent? And that's where you do another inventory um, where you're looking to lock things up, passcode, protect things with the passcode you don't know, using internet accountability software, all of this. And then the next step was replacement. I had to learn that just because I separate and I prevent the sin, there's now a void in my life. I, I need to learn how to take care of any kind of wounds, any kind of stress, trauma. Like I can't just go, well, it's out. I separated and I prevented and I locked everything up. I still have needs. So I had to mm-hmm. learn to replace and find things that would help. And it's, it's not just like, oh, so Bible study and you showed up for accountability group and you go to church. It was like, no, I had to learn how to have good, healthy pleasure, fun. Mm-hmm. I had to learn how to just even just express myself, be in deeper relationships with people, um, call guys up and then not be like, oh, you're, are you calling because you're tempted? No, I'm not tempted, but I will be if I don't tell you that I'm freaking angry this happened today, or I'm so sad, I'm hurt, this came up, this person did this. See, I never knew how to express emotions, stress, Mm -hmm. I'm wounded, this person pissed me off, I'm ready to kill my senior pastor right now, he's an idiot, he hung me up like and made me look stupid in front of me. Like, I had to learn just to deal with these things, because if I bottled it up, I would just easily go back and medicate. So I had to learn to replace um, Mm. with better things and then setting up structures, routines, morning routines, setting up disciplines in my life. It's all crucial, man. Discipline equals freedom. You've got to have structures, routines. All the practical practical stuff for recovery and not just sobriety to keep yourself sober, but also engage life. And, yeah, and nobody was explaining it. And then the more, it's been amazing over the last 10 years, because with the internet, if you're really looking to get better, there is a lot of good stuff. And that's where I began to find out about different guys, whether it's my friend, Matt Dobbs shoots over at Porn Free mm-hmm. Radio, your friends with them, found out about Nate Larkin, the Pirate Monk podcast, find out about guys at Pure Desire, and you find more and more. And I just begin to just glean off of all these guys. And I love hearing their stories of recovery. Um, and I loved having Nate on there just to go through. I'd heard it before, but I wanted the listeners to hear it, man. Tell us about rock bottom and tell us about coming out of it. And please make sure you tell the guys that it's not just this 
easy, clean, cookie cutter way back. It is just <laughs> hellacious at times. And it's mm-hmm. just like, am, am I even making progress? Um, mm-hmm. But then you finally begin to start turning some corners and you're just like, okay, I'm growing, I'm doing this. And now I need to start helping others do this. And mm-hmm. that's where I'm at right now is I realize every day I'm, I, I could be one decision away from just really stupid um, mm-hmm. and, and ruining things. And Oh, that's the, a, that's the t-shirt, Jason. I'm one, <laughs> I'm one step away from stupid today. I never seen that t-shirt. I, I, I haven't either. Let's make it. Cause I'd wear it. I am always <laughs> yeah. one step away from stupid. I'm I there, am, man. And I tell the guys I work with that, but, it was weird also when you finally get to a place, man, where you're growing, you're working the plan. The part of the plan is like, now you're supposed to be helping others. That is part of the plan. That yeah, is part yeah. of earth. And yeah, absolutely. Dude, it just started motivating me even more. So I'll be quiet, man. That's kind of my story with where I'm at and what I'm doing in my ministry now, brother. Well, uh, I know, uh, there are going to be listeners who are going to want to contact you. Of course, I highly recommend that they subscribe to the Grizz podcast. Thank you. If they want to reach out to you personally, what's the best way for them to connect? Oh, uh, they can definitely go to the website. Our min, uh, my nonprofit ministry that started back in 2010 is called Narrow Trail Ministries. The website is narrowtrail.com, narrowtrail.com. And then the podcast, the Grizz podcast, also has a website, thegrizzpodcast.com. Um, you can connect with me, Jason George on social media or any of that. Um, my email is Jason at narrowtrail.com. So yeah, man, that's what I'm doing. Um, awesome. just trying to, to walk it, live it and help others do the same man. keeping it real. That's why I appreciate you guys having me on. I, I like working with guys like you that are trying to do the same. Well, yeah. we, we are going to let you be a part of the wrap up right now because, uh, because we want you in on this. So get ready to say your yeah. name. You know your name, so this part will be easy. Listeners, <laughs> we want to remind you that uh, we want to hear from you, your questions, your comments, things you're thinking, things you disagree with uh, at at gmail.com. Send in your thoughts, questions, all of that. But, Nate, I'm handing, I'm handing the butt to you. Take my butt. Take my butt. <laughs> you handed me my butt? Okay. All right. Dude. Hey, by the way, it's, I'm just so grateful for your just kind of wonderful, no bullshit conversation, laying it out as beautifully and humbly as you have today. Thank you so much, Jason. Cool, man. Listeners, I appreciate the same with you, man. I always felt that when I was with you, man. Just let's keep it, it real. That's it. That's it. All right, listeners, uh, we've come to the end of the episode. Until next time. I'm Nate. I'm Aaron. I'm the Grizz. Yeah. (laughs) And we are your pals on the Pirate Monk Podcast. Grizz. The Pirate Monk Podcast is produced by members of the Samson Society. 